Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Uh, welcome along to our bonus Q&A episode of Books of the Year. We're here with the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, whose book Breathe has just been published. Uh, you might have heard him talking about that on our previous episode. It is available, uh, if you missed out, just before the first scripted question, which is a follow-on from the where we ended up the previous conversation about being Prime Minister, which you don't want to do. If you had the power, if you had the power, would you like to say, because this is a housing question, because it's such a huge issue in London and the rest of the country. If you had the power, would you like to be able to say the only people who can buy houses in London are people who live in the UK? If you don't live in the UK, you cannot buy a house in London. Is that a good policy? If you had that, would you like it? It's not as simple as that. So, so Damn, I thought it was <laughs> the short. The short answer is, look, so... so I don't want. I, I do want. Hope. Let me tell you the reason. We are about 100 meters away from a very prestigious block of flats. Um, in fact, all around this place, there's loads of flats going up. An awful lot of them are empty because they're being used for investment purposes by people who never come to this country at all. Would it not make it easier? If I realize it's not what you signed up to, but wouldn't it make it easier to make housing only available for people who live in the country? Yeah. So, so I do want homes for Londoners, and we are building homes for Londoners in record amounts, still not enough, uh, because uh, the demand exceeds the uh, supply. We do want some. Of course, we want you know foreign people coming to our city. Some of my best friends and family are foreigners, but you're spot on. If they are. Buying a home in London, they should live in that home. And if they're not living in that home, they should be, you know, pe- you know, penalised for not living in their home. Because you're right, too many people from overseas are using their homes as gold bricks, leaving them empty. So a simple thing that could happen overnight is there should be a list of all the properties that are owned and who owns them, so we can see who owns them. Whether it's a Russian oligarch, whether it's somebody using it as, uh, you know, gold bricks and so forth. What we I think wouldn't want to happen is sending a, sending a message out. That our city is not welcome to foreigners. No, no, no. I wasn't. I, I just thought I'd... you could send that as a memo to Keir when he's prime minister, mm-hmm. and then he can sort that out for you. Well, let's hope so. Listen, I mean, I mean, the the the, the difference is, uh, you know, without getting too tribal about this, is a government that understands the housing crisis and one that doesn't. And I, I've got to have a period of self-reflection. I was part of a wonderful government that did remarkable things. One thing we got wrong was not building enough genuinely affordable homes in our city. And by the way, when it comes to, you know, nice developments around this part of London, is one of the big tragedies is since 1979, uh, for every six council homes sold off under right to buy, for every six only once been rebuilt. So we've not replenished that stock of council homes. And it's really important uh, that we, uh, you know, the, the revolution of new council homes we've begun under my mayoralty uh, carries on going forward. Anyway, I apologise to regular listeners who do not expect me to carry on <laughs> with that five live kind of question. Wow, I love it. So uh, this is what you get in Q&A. So uh, our opening question, although you've just given us an opening answer. What is the last book, Sadiq Khan, that you really, really enjoyed reading? 
So as a rule, I, I tend to read fiction on holiday in the summer and non-fiction during the rest of the year. And so the book, the books that I really, really enjoy, the fiction books over summer. Uh, and there's somebody who, you know, I just think, I think I use this word very, very sen- seldomly, is a genius. And the reason I say he's a genius is he not only has written and devised some wonderful game shows, not only is he a remarkably funny man, but his Thursday Murder Club books mm, are I knew just, it was going to be yeah. Richard Blumen Osmond again. <laughs> uh, no, Simon, listen, don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. Listen, he, your books are okay. The, Simon's books are okay. Simon's books are okay. There are other brands available, but and Simon's books are okay. Simon, this guy's a genius, man. I mean, I, just, I hate him. I mean, you know, and I cle- I clearly you hate him more than I do. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Richard's books, I mean, I'll tell you what. And, and, you I, can't hate him, actually. He's, he's such he's a lovely such, guy. Well, no, 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 I don't hate him. But I, 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 had, to, I had to direct message him. The first book I read of his, I, 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 I bought it at the airport, a paperback. Like the first book of it, and I, I've got to be honest. The fact that it's Richard Osman, I bought the book. I didn't, I didn't buy because I thought it'd be a decent book. And I, I, I finished it, I think, in one sitting. And I, I had to DM him and say, "Listen, Richard, wow, you know." And so, and then, but the, the, honestly, I, 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 much do I. Not only do I thoroughly enjoy them, but you know, I, I look forward to the next one, which is unusual for me because you know I knew I know there's gonna be a big passage of. Uh, time so now the, the guy's a genius I mean it, it, it kills me to say so because you know I'm probably going to see him and be really embarrassed when I see him yeah soon. yeah yeah no he's, he's been on the pod and, and we and we think he's terrific it's just yeah. you know there comes a point where out of decency he should just back off <laughs> and let everyone else have a go with his Steven Spielberg movie deals <laughs> oh is that right I didn't yeah, know that yeah 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 so it's been made into a movie by uh, by Amblin um so when you have a job um Sadiq that uh obviously mayor of london you love your job but how on earth do you fit in the time to be able to write a book what was your routine with this one when were you writing yeah so so what i did was that that that, that christmas between between christmas eve and new year's eve i i got the some of the the, the, the flesh down on paper and what i did then was um is use tube journeys I, i've got an iphone and so you know what i did was i i basically used the iphone in relation to notes and I would write down notes on the tube journey in relation to just bullet points in relation to thinking. Because I wanted to go back and then come forward in relation to where we were. And then what I'd do is late at night, uh, I mean, I don't, I, I don't sleep as much. I sleep about five, six hours at night time. So I'd use the night time to, to, to write a bit more out. And there's somebody in my team called Ali, uh, who also used her spare time very generously and her holidays to just refresh my memory because obviously you, you misremember stuff and also you get you get delusions of it all being me 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 then Ali reminded me it wasn't just you 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 there was a big team involved in getting where you were but also fact checking but a combination of that Christmas holidays uh late evenings early mornings and any downtime you have but I didn't realize how difficult it is and also that's before you get to the editing process and mm-hmm. you know you, you don't know once you send the book there's that there's a bit of when you press send and you hold your breath, right? And you think, you know, because I got... Send, it's like, it is the equivalent of handing in your homework. It's really bad, And it man. then comes back marked. Do you know what I mean? And, but the thing is, I made this classic mistake, man. And the thing is, you've got to be careful. I, I said to both my agent, uh, wonderful agent, Johnny Geller, uh, that I want an editor who's going to say boo to a goose. I did not want my massage ego. I did not want, you know, somebody saying it's wonderful. We've all read books. I'm not going to name them. Written by politicians where you know they needed a good editor. Mm. Or they needed somebody to just say, "Listen, you couldn't have done it by yourself." And getting a good editor is, in my view, I mean, I've not maybe only my mum's going to buy my book, but you know, but uh, but getting a good editor is crucial. And there's that nego- there's that negotiation, right, where they want to take things out and you want to put things back in, and then you sneak them back in, they take them out, and so yeah. Is there an author 
or authors, apart from Richard Osman, <laughs> who you have always loved and you will always read? Elif Shafik. This woman is a Londoner, I'm proud to say, and I've never met her, but she is somebody who has taken a risk with her personal life to write books she feels passionate about, you know, whether it's the, you know, uh, Armenian genocide or about gender equality or about, you know, love. And the wonderful thing about LF's books are is uh, my daughters love them as well. And so I, I'm somebody who buys books rather than I mean, the tangible thing, rather than, mm. you know, uh, Kindles or, or, or audio books and stuff, because I like giving them, giving them. And Elif's books are really good because they have they have strong. I've got two kids, both girls, both women. I beg your pardon, but both women now. And so having positive role models, strong characters, is really important. And um, Elif's books are amazing. When was the last time, Sadiq, that you visited a library? We're big champions of libraries on this podcast. So when was the last time you went? And were you there for work or were you there for you, for yourself? So it's, for those that don't know, we're, we're recording this around the corner from the British Library. Uh-huh. And I want to say I'm a regular visitor to the British Library. Not true. Um, the, last libra- the last library I went to, when I was growing up, I'd go to libraries all the time. Earlsfield Library on Magdalen Road was our library. We lived in the Henry Prince Estate and we didn't own books in our home. And there wasn't space for books, but we'd go to Earlsfield Library and I'd always finish the summer holidays reading various books, getting the stickers and and so forth. And, you know, in secondary school, use the library a lot. The last library I went to was actually, funnily enough, in my old primary school. So we recently launched my policy to have free school meals for every child in a primary school in London from September. Never done before in our great city. A really important policy. And I went back to my old primary school to announce the policy and we announced it in the old school library and it's quite emotional being back in my old primary school being back in the library but also seeing some of the books that were in the library and what's interesting is the number of books that were written for adults there's now children's versions but also what's wonderful was adult books in children's libraries in a primary school and I was speaking to the teachers there who were saying how popular the library is because obviously many children's parents just like mine when I was growing up can't afford to buy books so libraries are a godsend and it's it's important to remind people like me in positions of power and influence that libraries in 2023 are as important as they were when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s you mentioned this actually at the beginning of the last podcast I, I used to visit a lot of schools when I wrote um books for for, for children I used to visit a lot of schools and uh, talk about the periodic table and talk about the book and and always working with the librarian and so many school librarians say they have to convince all the time, they have to convince the head teacher of the merit and the power of having a school library, and and they always say if you don't get that library habit when you're at school, you know where else you where else are you going to learn and how fundamentally important it is to have a great library, a great school librarian, and a lot comes from that. My librarian at secondary school, Miss Chandler, and your spotter, Miss Chandler, was amazing, engendering a love of books, but also encouraging you to go to the library. Even if it's not to get a book, we used to often, when I was in the sixth form, go to the library to to, to work because it's a quiet place to work. And Mrs. Chandler would always make the library a welcoming place. Um, she was a lovely character, um, but you're spot on. And I think I think listen, this this love of books is really important. It's a it's a bug, but you don't need to own a book to love a book and reading it and stuff. And it's also great escapism. Uh, you know, even now in my in my the reason why I take away loads of books, fiction books f- during the summer is I, I need to escape from the pressures of work and, and so forth. And, you know, there is no greater joy than escaping reading a book. Do you remember the first book, Sadiq, that you bought with your own money? You know, I can't remember, simply because, you know, you know, money was tight. And, and if I'm honest, 
you know, when I got a paper round, um, I think I think it may have been records or trainers that, that I bought rather than books. But the, the first book I really fell in love with, which in fact my daughter bought, and I've read it many times, but never bought, but my daughter bought it because she fell in love with it, was To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, you know, when I was, and the funny thing was, you know, one of the reasons I became a lawyer is because I wanted to be Atticus Finch, right? I still want to be Atticus Finch, by the way. Um, it's just like what, what, when, I, when I watched the film Philadelphia, I wanted to be Denzel. Right, so, you, you, so you read these books and watch these movies and you want to be that character. And what's lovely is, is, is uh, Amara, my youngest, uh, her favourite book is also To Kill a Mockingbird. And, uh, but the, the funny, funny thing is she bought the book. Uh, which I never bought because of the library thing, right? Because, you know, she's a middle-class kid. I was never, well, you know, her parents are middle-class, right? And so it's lovely to see in the bookshelf a book that I loved as a child that my daughter also loves. And we, we, got, we, got, the play, we got the opportunity to see To Kill a Mockingbird in the West End. It's now a play. And I got the opportunity to meet Aaron Sorkin, who I love because oh, of wow. West Wing. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and the, the, the play in the West End is, is different to the book uh, for those that haven't, seen the play or, or you know haven't read the book or the other way around and stuff and so I'd encourage your listeners to read the book and watch the play both brilliant but you have seen the play uh, yeah I've seen the play I'm a big fan of the book and I've seen the play and you're right it is it, it's, a, it's a different take the humour isn't it and it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's you can see the, the Sorkin-isms if that's the reason. and is he clear I, I, I seem to remember listening to an interview he gave about writing that where he got he he'd been working on it for six months and realised I don't want to I, want, I don't want to do this play because the play that I'm writing doesn't make sense right now and if you go and see the play as it has been written you realize why he made that why he made that but decision. also what's interesting is I, I've also seen the Gregory Peck film mm. great great movie great movie which is different to which so so, so Sorkin had the issue of the book the mm. film and then whether to write a play mm. big risk yeah. I think it works really well. Yeah. Uh, next question, you've you've sort of already um, answered, so I'm going to slightly amend it. So, um, Sadiq, fiction, non-fiction, or Jurgen Klopp winning us another league title? Oh, Which oh, of those spare would us. you prefer? So, listen, can I just say, um, for those that, that don't know this, uh, all good South Londoners support Liverpool. <laughs> if you're from Surrey, you support Man United. Uh, but I've had this big problem because there are, there are seven London Premier League clubs, right? Yes. And so it's like, why the hell would you support Liverpool? And makes it easier, I would think. Well, no, no. But you, you, you listen. <clears throat> you may change your spouse. You may nature, you may change your job. You never change your team. And when I was little, um, uh, you know, for a variety of reasons, my brothers got chased away from Chelsea by the NF at the shed. I was racially abused by my own fans, Wimbledon, when I went to sport Wimbledon at Plough Lane. My only experience of football was watching on TV or listening to the radio. And Liverpool were a great team, you know, Doug Leach and Rush up front. Sunez, who I love and adore, you know, the best captain we've ever had in my view, you know, Clements, Hansen and so forth. And what Klopp has done is brought back the magic of our team. And the great thing about Jürgen Klopp, if you, even if you're not a football fan, here's a club owned by Americans, German manager, every faith around the world represented in that team, playing beautiful football. And Jürgen shows something that Dominic Raab can learn from. You don't need to be a bully to be successful. You can be a nice guy and be successful. And what's wonderful about, about the, this Liverpool team, on a serious note, is I could give a thousand speeches or write a million books about multiculturalism, about Islam, about integration. What that team has done with Mo Salah, Mane, in relation to, there are now chants on the cop about being a Muslim, going to the mosque, about fasting. You've got, you know, Alison baptizing Firmino and stuff, you know, Catholics, Muslims, Americans, Germans, Egyptians, you know, those from Senegalese, uh, English, so forth. And it's, it's a joy to watch. Uh, and when owned by a country, 
which is really important. Uh, <laughs> it is very important. No, I entirely agree with you on that. And in parentheses at that point, just on that multicultural point, before we go on to the last question, coron- at the coronation, I know there are a number of issues and people will have debated it uh, and so on, but I wonder how powerful you thought it was. This bizarre kind of <clears throat> mix of the medieval and uh, and the modern, all this crazy stuff going on, that our Hindu prime minister read a New Testament reading uh, for millions of people to see around the world. It just struck me as quite a moment to go, okay, I know this isn't the centerpiece of what we're talking about here, but that moment where Rishi Sunak read from the from the New Testament just seemed to me a very powerful one. The, the, the incredibly powerful. On top of that, our Prime Minister is of Hindu faith. The First Minister is uh, Muslim. But also what, you know... King Charles III did in his coronation is show he's not simply the defender of the faith, he's defender of the faiths. He deliberately made sure that you had a Muslim peer, Lord Camel, a Hindu peer, Lord Patel, a Jewish peer, Baroness Maron, playing integral roles during his coronation. Uh, you know, he arranged for the chief rabbi to have a sleepover uh, to ensure he could observe the uh, Sabbath and just, I'm I'm from a family who you know I've got this special relationship with the royal family. We you know my mum, my dad, we all just. I, I was at my mum's this weekend, and I kid you not, she has a silver jubilee spoon I used to make the tea and stuff. And so, it, it's such a source of pride to me that we've got a monarch that gets it. But also, listen, party politics aside, you know we can't underestimate the importance of having a prime minister of Hindu faith. Uh, I make this point because I'm tribal. He didn't win this election, though, right? He was uh, his, his his own cronies appointed him there. Um, but you know, but it's it's you know, listen, it, it, we should be really 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 proud. I think it's possible to say on the one hand, massive massive progress in our society. When my dad first came to this country, he was confronted with signs saying no Irish, no blacks, no dogs, and by blacks it was people like him. To the prime minister being you know somebody like Sunak and the mayor being someone like me. Reverend Richard Coles tweeted during the coronation. If you need the if you need a gospel read properly, ask a Hindu, uh, which I thought was a great point. Then a number of people said it wasn't a gospel; it was the Paul's letter to Colossians. Uh, but anyway, so he got it wrong. But there was a there was a gospel choir singing Hallelujah. Oh, weren't they, weren't weren't they good? Fantastic. Weren't they good? Final question: If you hadn't studied law and gone into politics, what job do you think you might have been doing? Well, here's here's, the, here's this is a true story. So so I did science A levels, biology, chemistry, and maths because I was destined to be a dentist. I couldn't be a doctor because I don't like blood; it's all gooey. And so, so the mouth has a bit of blood as well. Well, no, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. So, so my first year of my A-levels, my math teacher, Mr. Brown, says, listen, Sadiq, you're always arguing. Why do you want to be a dentist? Why don't you become a lawyer? And then I fell in love with L.A. Law. I wanted to be Fuentes, Jimmy, this Jimmy Smith's character, right? You know, be, be yeah, yeah. So there, there was, you know, there was Gracie, there was, there was, there was Cusack, and there was uh, uh, Fuentes. And I, and I thought, and then, then the, to kill a mockingbird. So I then decided to, to do law rather than dentistry. But... You know, I, you know, there's still there's still occasions when my mum says to me, you know, um, you know, when are you going to go back to a decent job? <laughs> Thanks, mum. <laughs> I think that's what parents say. <laughs> yeah. um, Sadiq, thank you very much, Sadiq. Um, Sadiq's book is Breathe, published by Hutchinson, is out now. We're going to be back next week for another Books of the Year with author T.J. Newman talking about her incredibly exciting new novel, which is called Downfall. Uh, we hope you can join us then. Thank you very much indeed for listening.